Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write in notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, and I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a like a text file or whatever. Actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple Pencil with it, I have been doing that on there, and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those NanoDots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook, here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper-like, and I'm sure it's, it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use. And paper, like, feels good on the iPad. Uh, They also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with. But getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a Paperlike on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better, this is how you do it. So, to pick up your paper-like, head over to paperlike.com ajax, click buy paper-like, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com ajax to get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to War Rocket Ajax. This is the internet's most explosive comic book and pop culture podcast, and we are your hosts. My name is Chris Sims. With me, as always, is Matt Wilson. Matt, how are you? Chris, I'm doing all right. How are you? 
Uh, I'm, I'm doing good, Matt. Um, I want to give the listeners a little peek behind the curtain. <laughs> a, little B- a little BTS, a little behind the scenes. Oh, the not show. the K-pop group. Not the K-pop group. Okay. This is what you heard when I signed on to the call today. This is what you heard. And the question you asked me was, is that God's green? (laughs) When in reality, the answer was, that is a medium Coca-Cola from Popeye's Chicken. Yeah, I I I knew that. I knew it wasn't God's green. It was a <laughs> facetious question, but it did have that bong rip sound. I didn't realize it was a facetious question, which is I can say the word facetious. By the way, I'm just <laughs> laughing. Uh, I did not realize it was a facetious question because, as we have mentioned so many times, you your tone is not always matching your emotions that's true i have i'm cursed with a deadpan tone that makes me sound like i'm either being sarcastic or dead serious every time i say anything (laughs) that's why i have to punctuate a lot of things with like laughter while i'm saying it so you know i'm being jovial about about it this is not used to do that you were on the show for like five years before i made you laugh once (laughs) <laughs> on air that cannot be true it i remember we had a conversation about it at the time i'm sure i laughed at something this is, <laughs> this is also this is also the day where my friend uh sean Bogus asked chat gpt to come up with a bunch of weed related nicknames for me a list of them and uh let me tell you they are good what is what is chat gpt ChatGPT is an AI chatbot. Okay. Hey, I've had it about up to here on fucking AI. I'll tell you that. Same. Although these... Please don't play that when that clip when Skynet puts me on trial, but... All right. I'm going to read the 10 nicknames ChatGPT came up with for me, but I'm going to cut it out and put it up only on the Patreon. That'll get us five bucks. Yeah, Matt, we got a great show for everybody today. We do. We are getting raw once again. Like me, and, me and the grass man are getting raw. Now you gave one away to. Oh, shoot. Bleep it. Bleep it. <laughs> Bleep it no, so that's, people don't know. Everybody gets that one for free. That's but a, the other a, nine. Tease for the people. The other nine, you got to go to Patreon. Uh, but we're going to be rating some raw moments from comics during our interview segment doing Thursday Night Raw once again for the entire interview segment. And uh, it's going to be a fun time. I, I like how our after-interview segments have just become things we do for entire shows. Yeah, things we do for entire shows because I don't like talking to people. <laughs> Although we got a lot of guests coming up. We've got a lot of guests that I am actually... You, you can tell I'm excited about the guests we have coming up because of how much I don't like talking to people who aren't the grass man, Matt Wilson. Well, Chris, before we get into Raw Zone, we do have some business to take care of here at the top of the show. The first bit of business is thanking our Patreon supporters. That's right, Matt. These are the people who have gone all the way down to 
The 626 Gimmick Street. Mm-hmm. And buddy, you know what's down there. It's my two old cars. My 1996 Mazda 626 and my 1999 Mazda 626. Yes. It's weird. They're like it's kind of like a, a, a historical marker there. <laughs> yeah. That's where they died and where you left them. That's right. So it's I guess it's a CarMax because I took both of those cars to a CarMax. I was going to say it's like you were just you've tried twice to drive the length of Gimmick Street but no man can make it. <laughs> but you know what? Eowyn then takes off her helmet and says, "I am no man." That's right. Wow. Yeah. Big twist. Big twist. But Matt, while people are out there at CarMax looking at cars, looking at your two old cars, how much do you get for those? Almost nothing. I sold my 2000 Camry in 2020. I sold a 20-year-old Camry to CarMax and got $700 for it. I think that's more than I got for either of those cars. I got maximum $500. Car maximum. (laughs) That's right. I think, are you talking about automobile motor car maximum? Uh, Yes, that's what I mean. We have fun on the show. We do. Uh, while you're there, while you're browsing, if you go online, browse for cars, that's the way to do it these days. Take a little time while you're there, go to patreon.com slash warrocketajax, and when you're there, you can kick in as little as a dollar a month to, uh, help me and Matt pay those gimmicks they keep sending in the mail call bills. That's right, Chris, and it is wake up, wake up, wake up, the first episode of the month for us, our first episode of March, and I don't have any new patrons to name. so. Get on it, folks. Make it happen. Get on it. Go over to patreon.com slash warrocketajax and chip in if you are so inclined. Right now we have 411 active patrons. If you want to get all of our shows completely ad-free, this show, Every Story Ever every month, Comics Catch-Up every month, we have read everything for Comics Catch-Up, so we'll be recording that soon for March. Uh... Movie Fighters and Snack Situation, all of those shows are made possible by your support on Patreon and uh, are all available completely ad-free for all of our patrons. As a patron, you also get bonus audio. You can hear my ten, the nine weed-related nicknames for me that you didn't hear before. You can also get other bonus content, like stuff we record specifically for uh, our Patreon, stuff that we cut out of the show. Uh, outtakes and things like that. Bonus writing. Chris does video game reviews on the Patreon. I've done some writing on the Patreon. Not in a little while, but I think there's some stuff coming down the pike sometime soon. I'm working on them. I'm yeah. working on them. Yeah. See? Chris is working Adderall on them. Adderall shortage has fucked me, Matt. I'll be <laughs> honest with you. I didn't know there was a shortage. Oh, I'm keenly aware of it. Okay. Well, hopefully that will get worked out soon. You can also get physical rewards. I believe I have the design for our 2023 t-shirt in pocket. As soon as tax season is over, I'll start working on getting those t-shirts printed and out to our patrons at the t-shirt level. So if any of that stuff sounds like you'd be interested in getting it, head over to Patreon and kick in what you can afford to help us out. If you can't afford anything, don't uh, try to get the rewards anyway. 
Instead, help us out in other ways. Leave us a five-star review on the podcasting app that you use. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, five stars would help us out a whole bunch. You can also help us by just spreading the word about the show, telling people you know about a podcast that you like, and they should listen to it too. That would be a big help to us too. Chris, with that, it's time for some checks and recs. What do you say? Let's do it. Chris, what do you have to check in with this week? I'm back on my bullshit, Matt. Oh, boy. Do tell. I'm curious to know, as someone who's known me for so many years, someone who knows me, probably the second best of anyone in the world, what you think I mean by being back on my bullshit? My immediate thought is you're playing Persona 5 again. That's a great guess. That's a great guess, because it is out for Switch now, and I do have it for Switch. Uh, and I did buy the fancy edition that comes with a treasure chest full of stuff uh, that I bought mainly because it had the tarot cards in it. But also uh, kind of the main thing is like a laptop case that looks like Akechi's uh, little briefcase, uh-huh. which does suck because Akechi's vibes, as we have discussed, are fucking rank. <laughs> they are rancid. <laughs> but uh, that is not what it is. It's close, though, because I'm back in my bullshit. Because, Matt, I'm playing fucking Dead Cells again. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I gotcha. And Dead Cells, Dead Cells is a game, if you have, if you do back to Patreon, and you've you've read the things I've written about video games, you'll know that both you and I have some consternation with the popular video game Dead Cells. Namely yeah, that so. it's not, it's, it's, it's a real, it's a real frozen yogurt situation for both of us, I think. Yeah. I, I very much so. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not ice cream. We we just want ice cream, but there hasn't been a good new ice cream released in a minute, and so I'm playing Dead Cells because Dead Cells is coming out with a fucking expansion or whatever called Dead Cells. Here's some fucking ice cream. What you mean is, yeah, they're gonna do a Castlevania expansion. They are going to yeah. They're gonna do a full like Castlevania crossover called Dead Cells Return to Castlevania, which, you know what? Good on them. Good that somebody's making Castlevania games again. I can't believe that they got that. I can't believe that Konami allowed it. I don't, like, I don't know why more people aren't asking, because here's the thing about Konami. Konami doesn't care anymore. They only want to make money. That's true. Which, but, you know, you would think Castlevania would make some money, but no, they got, they got pachinko machines and FIFA, and that's, that's where they're at. So if you, I'm sure the people who made Dead Cells were like, hey, what's the number we have to write on this check? And Konami was like, that is the number, thank you. <laughs> Bob Konami was like, I will be taking this to the bank, thank you so much. Bob Konami. I like that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've been playing Dead Cells, and I gotta say, as much as you and I have had some consternation with Dead Cells in the past... In the time since the last time I played it, and now, which is a couple years, I feel like Dead Cells has gotten really good. Like, Dead Cells is better now. The gameplay is the same, but I feel like the last time I played it, it didn't have a lot of the options and, uh, like, expansion stuff that I have gotten 
from this because because look, I bought it again on the deck because that's where I want to play the Castlevania one. It was it was on sale. It was on the cheap. Bought it again. Got it on the Switch and the deck now. It's fine. Uh, but I was able to get all the DLC that I didn't have for basically what I would have paid for it on the Switch. Uh, and it has some accessibility options that have made the game a lot easier on me, someone who is not actually that good at video games, uh, in that you can literally like adjust the the enemy damage and health down to, I think, 10% of what it normally is. So it doesn't have that sense of just ramming my head against a brick wall that stopped me from beating Cathedral, for instance, a game that I really like, and made my first experience with Dead Cells really uh, trying in that I just got to a point where it's like, well, I guess I can't see the rest of this game at all. Uh, so I've been, you know, tooling with those. There's also like a lot of really interesting expansion stuff that they've done with adding in uh, bits and pieces from other games, including like there's Shovel Knight stuff, there's Hotline Miami stuff, uh, Katana Zero stuff, games that we've talked about on the show. There's even like some Dark Souls stuff, and I don't know if it's like an official collab or if uh, it's just you know, like a reference to Dark Souls. But uh, yeah. It's got a lot of stuff that I like now that I don't recall being there before. I think your main point of consternation with Dead Cells was different from mine. Because my issue was not necessarily difficulty. Because right, you like hard games that I don't like. Yeah. It's, it's, more, a, like, it, it's more anything that is uh, a roguelike where everything's procedurally generated so you don't get those moments of like discovering those little secrets that the developers intentionally put there for you to discover which is my favorite thing in video games yes i i definitely had like that is still an issue i've softened a lot on roguelikes since hades and uh vampire survivors even like if if I had not run out of things to unlock in Vampire Survivors, I would still be playing it. I have a a thing where I cannot bring myself to continue playing a game past a certain point. But Vampire Survivors, I got I got everything that I could get in there. Uh, still did not get that one thing that we talked about not being able to unlock last time, even with the help of someone in the in the Ajax Discord, but oh well. Uh but yeah, like I, I feel like that's still an issue. But, I don't know, like, it feels like just enough of a different game from the last time I played it that I'm enjoying it much, much more. And I I even said when I talked about Dead Cells in my review of, uh, I think it was Forgone, that I I wrote for the Patreon, that, like, I know Dead Cells isn't a bad game, and and I have played it and will continue to play it off and on. This is the first time I've played it and not actively hoped it was something else. So back on some bullshit with a, with, with a video game. I have played so much. Uh, Matt, what have you been up to this week? I have what might be good news for people listening to this. If they like <laughs> to hear me, hear me talk on podcasts, because I've been really putting in work 
to get things lined up to promote uh, my Zoop campaign, which is going to be starting in a week or two, and lining up some podcast appearances over the next two months. So between mid-March and mid-April, you're going to hear me on some other podcasts. Uh, I will let folks know what those are when they go up. You can, you know, the weird thing about all of this Zoop promotion, there was a time not that long ago, you know, three, four years ago, when I just would have done all this promotion on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And now Twitter is whatever the fuck Twitter is, right? <laughs> Right, right, yeah. So I'm like, I guess I gotta do this promotion in other places now. So I'm more active on Mastodon. You can follow me on Mastodon. I'm just uh Matt D. Wilson at Mastodon.social. Like it's pretty simple. Or I guess Mastodon.social slash Matt D. Wilson. I'm on, I'm on a couple of different Discords. I'm I've drafted emails to send to people. I it's it's really weird to not just have the one social media place where you do all that kind of thing anymore. It's probably a good thing <laughs> that Twitter is not the only place I think of to do this kind of stuff, but nonetheless, uh I have done some scheduling and had some help from Zoop in scheduling some uh, podcast appearances in the next uh, month or so, month and a half. And yeah, I'll let people know when when they can hear me on those shows and in those places. Uh, I'll probably be doing some interviews for different like comics news websites too. So I'll be around over the next uh, month and a half. For sure. That's what I've been up to, Chris. I'm glad to hear it. I'm excited about Imposter Syndicate. It's yeah. I'm so excited to see it happen. So uh, you can talk about it as much as you want on on any podcast that we do. <laughs> How about instead of a, a bad movie or a snack, we just talk about Imposter Syndicate for 45 minutes? Okay, you want to know where I'm at, Chris? Honestly. Yeah. I I had the weird thought today of like, what if Imposter Syndicate doesn't get funded? What if I start this Zoop campaign and then we don't hit our goal and it doesn't get funded? And I was like, then I just will I never have to try to make comics again. <laughs> You'll be free. I'll know I'm done. <laughs> the one superhero comic I ever wanted to make doesn't get funded. I can quit. One day, man. One day, we're going to be sitting next to each other, uh, signing signing copies of Imposter Syndicate and Crime Wave. It's going to happen. <laughs> uh, let's make some recommendations, Chris. What do you have to recommend? I would like to recommend uh, something that uh, people can and should spend uh, five dollars a month on at uh, Patreon. Other than what we do, like obviously, when you're on Gimmick Street. You got to give it to us. You have to. It's there's a toll. That's what it should be. Gimmick Street shouldn't be internet cafes. It should be toll booths. <laughs> it's just every every not even every block. 
There's two. There's two on every side of on every available space on the street toll booth. Yes, it's like driving through Illinois. <laughs> the clutch joke for the Illinois people out there. It is. It is a new podcast that is called Worlds Beyond Number. Uh, it is from uh, Brennan Lee Mulligan, Abria Iyengar, Erica Ishii, and Lou Wilson. Uh, who. If you are also a fan of Dropout's Dimension 20 actual play podcast, you know all of these people already. Or if you're into, I don't know, Critical Role or whatever, the one that I don't watch because honestly it feels like getting a third job to keep up with that show. Nothing against it, honestly. Everyone seems very nice. Uh, and And all of their stuff seems very fun. It does seem like it is a job at this point to get into it, even more so than comics. But these four people have launched a new actual play podcast called Worlds Beyond Number uh, with uh, their first campaign. And I believe it is available or will be available to the like regular listening audience, but also has so much that has gone up early and that has gone up in large quantities with the Patreon. There's a... Uh, a fantastic like zero episode, like a session zero where they just kind of introduce the characters, but also like their like real life relationships with each other. Uh, that's really, really fun to listen to. Lou Wilson is one of the funniest people alive, which you already know if you've watched any of dimension 20 and uh, Eric Ishii and Abria Iyengar are also fantastic. Brendan Mulligan, Brendan Mulligan makes me mad, Matt. Mm. Uh, Cause he wrote a good comic. And plays D&D professionally and is, like, handsome. It's very frustrating. <laughs> I've only done one of those things. <laughs> you can tell, Matt, you, this, you go, oh no, Chris, you're also very handsome. Yes, you are very handsome, and you should professionally DM. I should. I'm, like, extremely fucking good at it, honestly. Yeah. Oh, shit, Matt. Matt, breaking news. Detroit Fusion is coming to Switch on the 9th. Rad. Hell yeah. Yes, hell yeah. Hell yes, hell yes, hell yes. But yeah, Worlds Beyond Number, it's a great, fun actual play. I'm recommending it now because I think last week, as you're listening to this, they literally dropped like something like 12 hours of a prologue campaign about all the characters when they first meet as children. It's eight episodes that are between an hour and two hours long that are all about like kind of a prelude to the larger adventure. Uh, the deal is they're going to switch off uh, DMing. So uh, Brennan Lee Mulligan is running this campaign. I believe the next one is supposed to be uh, Lou Wilson doing it. Uh, it might be Abria doing that one, but uh, I am very, very excited to get even more uh, role-playing game content from four people who I have never had so much fun listening to four people play D&D that I was also not playing D&D with at the time. 
<laughs> as I have with uh, these four people on various shows and in various guises. So uh, definitely give it a shot. Uh, I'm really, really enjoying it. And if you like the stuff that I like, uh, you probably will as well. Matt, what do you have to recommend to the people? Chris, as I so often do, I'm going to be recommending a YouTube channel that people can go watch videos on. I've been watching some videos on this channel as I work. Uh, it's I don't know what it is. Some people like to listen to music while they work. Some people like to, like you, I think, do a lot of like D&D actual play while you work. Not... I, not that much. I, I watch a lot of YouTube videos more than anything else. Okay. I like to watch a lot of like infotainment YouTube videos. Uh, I've actually gotten into a couple of channels recently. I might recommend another channel pretty soon, but the channel I'm recommending this week is called Digging the Greats, which is a music YouTube channel. Um, I, I'll look up the, the host's name right now because he, he doesn't really say his name all that much but brandon shaw and he doesn't really let on this he talks about being a bass player pretty regularly but he doesn't really say who he played bass for um he's Nas's bass player <laughs> okay all right and his channel like illmatic Nas. like illmatic Nas. yeah incredible like i love it there is one video where he's talking about Nas. It's all about Nas. And then it ends with the host, Brandon Shaw, playing bass at Nas's show at Madison Square Garden. Um, all right. But, but that's the only time he really lets on about that. But all of the videos are all about just like my era of hip hop that I love, which is. 90s and 2000s hip hop, uh, along with like old soul music and just like good shit. Like there's you know a whole video about uh, Tribe Called Quest. He he talks about the Soulquarians a lot. He talks a lot about D'Angelo. He has a video about Black Star. He has uh, videos about the Roots. He had a video about like a collaboration between. Lauren Hill and and uh, D'Angelo and Jay Dilla that never actually happened. Um, he constantly brings up Jay Dilla. Um, there's there's sometimes he'll bring up like Thundercat and and more recent music, but it's you know this guy just like likes all the music I like uh, more or less. He also regularly brings up the forgotten Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club, Club Band movie. That was made in 1978, where the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton played Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. <laughs> that it a, sounds wild. It's a it was a huge flop failure that everyone hated, and had a uh, like negative selling album, but that has one good song on it by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Um, it's it's a really interesting channel. I I think the guy is really knowledgeable, uh, Brandon Shaw, and it's getting me prepared for the final, finally the streaming release of all of De La Soul's music. Ooh. Yeah. It's, it's as of us recording this episode, it's happening tomorrow. 
So by the time people are hearing this, you can actually finally fucking listen to De La Soul on Spotify and YouTube Music and Amazon Music. Can and should. I'm so excited. I'm so excited, dude. (laughs) De La Soul is one of my favorite hip-hop groups of all time. I listened to the album that had Ooh on it uh, so many times. Circa 2000. Uh, Artificial Intelligence Mosaic Thump is that album. What a great name. It's great. It's a great album. Um, he's got Brandon Shaw has a De La Soul video. So if you're into that kind of music like I am, uh, I highly recommend going and finding Digging the Greats on YouTube. Uh, really cool channel. Uh, I really have enjoyed it. And one of the cool things he does on the channel is he he does the video. He's a bass player, but he's also a DJ. So he'll spend the whole video standing behind uh, turntables. And he'll like do mixes. He'll like mash up songs right there on the video, like live. That and, sounds um, pretty cool, actually. It's very cool. It's very cool to watch, and he's he knows his shit. So, digging the greats is uh, is the channel. Go check it out, Chris. With that, it's time to review some comics. What do you say? Let's do it. Chris, the prestigious winner of the Texter's Choice this week is Batman vs. Robin, number five. Yeah, but this was this was me texting you mm-hmm. that this comic owned, except for one panel. And I'm curious to know if you agree with me or not. I was trying to, as I read this, I was trying to decipher which panel it was. Mm-hmm. I, it, ain't the, it ain't the panel where the fucking... Batman and Robin Batmobile shows up. No, it's not that panel. That panel is good. That panel owns bones. When Damien goes, oh shit, that's my Batmobile. <laughs> yeah. The one that he built? The, yeah, the, that's just great. The hovering Batmobile. Yeah, the only Batmobile that I will accept now, because it is the only one that makes any kind of sense, having been to New York City. <laughs> you ain't it's, driving the fucking rocket car around. Folks. Okay. This is the panel that I thought it might have been. The the one where Batgirl stabs Batman in the chest. No, I was actually fine with that. Okay. Because they're like I think as far as the Batman family uh goes at this point, Batman is a zombie. Yeah, he's he's possessed by the devil Neja. Yeah. Y'all know about the devil Neja. Y'all know about the devil Neja who is Mark Wade trying to get him over so hard. <laughs> oh, love it. I love the devil Naja. You did it, Mark. You did it. You, did, you got him over with me, buddy. No, it's the panel where a bunch of cops uh, show up and say that they're Batman. Oh, yeah. That Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because how this book ends. And, is... and, and you're about to say it, but I do want to point out. This is the most Mark Wade shit of all time, and I do not mean that in any negative way. It's, but it's kind of Mark Wade doing a Grant Morrison cover. It, it kind of, but it's like really fucking Mark Wade, I think. So after being possessed by the Devil Neja, which happened in Lazarus Planet, 
Batman is finally exercised of the Devil Neja when a bunch of magic characters show up. And he's dying, so Damien, like fucking Peter Pan talking about Tinkerbell, and I mean that in the best possible way. Yeah, I think, like, I want to point, like, just so we're clear, I think we're both very positive about this very good comic book. Yeah. He gets on Oracle's messaging equipment and sends a message to everybody in Gotham City to say, hey, if Batman's ever helped you or done anything good for you, uh, you got to look at the bat signal right now and say, we are Batman, because he needs your help or else he's going to die. And then everybody does it. Yeah, um, the, it, it's the end of the Kamen Rider Forze movie. <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe that happens on the show, I forget. But everybody who he's helped, uh, they all come back at the same time. And and Damien gives this speech about how Batman has always been there uh, to, to help them when they didn't have any hope. And now he needs he needs them. And your soul is infinite, so you're not even giving anything up. All you have to do is just believe in Batman. And I'm like, fuck, yes, fuck, yes, because you know that is my shit. Completely. Yeah, there's there's a lot of good shit in this issue. The, the, the thing where uh, Damien becomes a bunch of Damien's, like the end of These Savage Shores, <laughs> great. Everything with monkey prints, great. Yes. There's there's one kind of like jarring scene transition that maybe could have been a little better that is obviously a we only have so much space in this comic book thing because <clears throat> it just abruptly shifts from the Batmobile chase to Damien on a rooftop trying to lure in Batman. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, yeah. Great, great throughout. Uh, this is Mark Wade writing and art by uh, Mahmoud Asrar, who does an amazing job. Yeah, very good stuff. Everybody gives Batman a little piece of their soul. Because Batman is Gotham City, buddy. That shit is great. It's great. It's good. It's good. Next up, remember Chris when we were talking about Dark Web? And you were like, I only remember when we were talking about Dark Web. <laughs> Dark Dark Web's gonna be with me forever. And you were like, man, I hope we get to see more Hallow's Eve. We probably won't. Well, our prayers were answered because from the pages of Amazing Spider-Man, Hallow's Eve number one has been released, written by Erica Schultz with art by Michael Dowling. Yeah, but hey, Hallow's Eve rules. Hallow's Eve is great. What a great concept for a character. What a great concept for powers. Uh, I I find her motivation very interesting. Uh, And I I think this is a very good comic. But man, like... Hallow's Eve, the woman who can put on uh, Ben Cooper Halloween masks and then get the powers of whatever she puts on. (laughs) Including a hot lady. Yeah. When she puts on her her Marilyn Monroe mask, so she yes. can disguise herself and not look like she is a fucking walking spirit Halloween, yeah, it's great. In, in this issue alone, she puts on a hot lady mask to look like mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe. She puts on like a I don't even know what to call that mask, but she puts on a mask that makes her intangible and invisible. 
that's that's her ghost mask. Oh yes, okay, ghost mask. Yeah, uh, and she puts on a werewolf mask to make her an actual fucking werewolf, with which she could turn other people into werewolves. Because that's what werewolves do, dude. Yeah, man. That's that's uh, my favorite thing about this. Is that like, yeah, dude, you bit somebody when you were a werewolf. That turns people into werewolves. We know this. <laughs> <laughs> she is stealing money to try to get Ben out of his prison. That's uh, Ben Riley, who's in prison in limbo. Yeah. And she's being chased by the fucking Beyond Corporation, which is back from the Ben taking over his Spider-Man shit from a while back. This is good. This is good. It's good, man. It's good. And I love Hallow's Eve. And I feel like now that everyone knows and loves Elsa Bloodstone, I feel very affectionate and protective of Hallow's Eve. She's she's my new Marvel Comics Blorbo. <laughs> oh, she's good. Hallow's Eve. Hallow's Eve's I'm good. Glad and this comic is, is very good. I'm unfamiliar with Erica Schultz, but uh, excellent, excellent work. Yeah. Uh, keeping up the theme of spooky Spider-Man comics that came out on February 28th for some reason, or I guess March 1st, uh, Spider-Man Unforgiven number one, a book uh, written by Tim Seeley with art by Sid Cotian, in which uh, Spider-Man meets, meets a good bunch of good vampires to fight an evil demon. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Like, one of them is a good vampire who was inspired to be good by Captain America 80 years ago. Uh-huh. When, when he was in Japan. Yeah. Because he's a full-ass samurai. Mm-hmm. So, he's so, a, yeah. a vampire. A vampire. That's right. Yeah. Or a, Which, or a sampire. I like vampire. Yeah, it's... A, Sampire could just be a vampire named Sam. Yeah. Um, I'll say I'll say this. Knowing Tim Seeley as we do, uh, I would not doubt that he had said the word Vamurai in the <laughs> writing or in the script of this comic book. <laughs> uh, so there's this whole team of vampires that uh, this Vamurai has assembled. Uh, and and he's also got a new trainee, uh, who he names Red Blood, but the rest of the vampires are named Night Eyes, Ghost Blade, Inca, and Quickshot, and the vampire's name is Rizokodo, and they are collectively known as the Forgiven. And uh, yeah, they fight like monsters, so they fight a lo- Spider Man, they fight alongside Spider Man against a monster in this issue mm-hmm. and then betrayal why would why would red blood do this to her newfound friends in the forgiven we'll have to find out in x-men unforgiven number one <laughs> hell yes and hell yes we will because uh because this ends with uh wolverine and jubilee showing up <laughs> and wolverine going Hey, Jubilee, you used to be a vampire. That was fucking wild. Remember that shit? (laughs) 
it literally ends with Jean Grey saying, the X-Men will take it from here. Yeah. Which is the I, most like throwback comics crossover thing. It's it's pretty great. This is it's such a a nineties Marvel comics ass comic in a way that which again, if you know me, that is not a complaint. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I am very pro 90s ass Marvel comics. Uh, but like, even self referentially, so like Spider Man at one point goes, This is a Midnight Suns thing. Do I need to call Ghost Rider to deal with this? This is so mid 90s. This is such a 90s Marvel comic that Spider Man, when he is affected by the evil demon that they fight, his eyes glow green. Mm-hmm. Like, his eyes are glowing green for like, six straight pages in here. Which feels very 90s to me. It does feel very 90s. I like it. I think it is delightful. Uh, but also, I I do feel a kinship with Spider-Man who opens this, this issue by saying, I like horror stuff. Well, what I really liked about the opening of it is, yes, I'm Spider-Man, but I'm not spooky. Yes. I When he said that, I went back and looked at the cover to see if they put the spooky logo on it, and they didn't. <laughs> they didn't, yeah. Uh, it's good. It's good. Uh, three good comics this week. And Chris, it's time to talk about things that are raw. I think we could pick some raw moments out of those three comics, but as of right now, it's time to take some submissions from our listeners for Thursday Night Raw. Let's do it. There was no training or taming of me and my bra. Live like a man, but I'm animal raw. All right, Chris, here is a submission from uh, Soso Sundere for Thursday Night Raw, which also has a question. Okay. But we'll, we'll, get, we'll do the submission first. First, Soso says, I'm not sure I really get the spirit of, of Raw since I'm not a wrestling person, but I guess I will get the obvious one out of the way. That time Kurt Connors ate that boy. Okay, th- this isn't really like a wrestling thing. I do want to point that out. Like, like even though the the reference of Thursday Night Raw is a is a wrestling thing, the idea of rawness is not a wrestling thing. No, if anything, it's not like Monday Night Raw, which is just called Monday Night Raw because it's live. Yeah, that's half the, the time. That, or well, half the time at the time that it was named. Yeah, it's it's always live now, but it used to only be live every other week, but it was called Raw because it was live. Yeah. As opposed to taped wrestling shows, which had been the norm up to that point. Yeah. Which were cooked. Thoroughly. <laughs> yeah. But what we mean by Raw is just, they make you go, wee. They, they yeah. make you take your shirt off in, the, in, in your chair. They make you, they make you like stand up and clap your hands a little bit. Yeah. Pump your fists. Uh, no, so, 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 uh, our, our old friend, uh, Dave Campbell used to call them fuck yeah moments. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so adds, uh, this funny line, uh, that Kirk Connors definitely did not cook that boy. He did not. He did eat that boy raw. He did. Do you think that counts as being raw? Cause if it is raw, then by definition, it's animal raw. I don't think I would consider it raw. Yeah, it's it's 
it's more harrowing than raw. It's it's affecting. Yeah. Like it makes you feel some kind of way. It, it it's brutal, but I don't think it's raw. Yeah. Brutal yeah, That's brutal a distinction. is distinction. Yes. The imperceptible, perhaps intangible part of rawness is it, it's 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 a it makes you feel a positive feeling. It makes you feel amped. Yeah. Yeah. And like that's why most of the raw things that happen are heroes doing things. Like, yeah, it, it, it's it's the, that amped feeling, that positivity. It's the power of positivity. Yes. That is a wrestling thing. <laughs> to, okay. So we got the submission twice last time we did one of these of Thor saying, Ultron, we would have words with thee. Which we did deem raw, right? Pretty raw, yeah. But if someone were to submit the the inciting incident that led up to that moment where Ultron kills a country, I don't know that I would call that raw. Yeah, I feel like maybe there could be another list that we would have to call Nitro. <laughs> because it's what really sets it off. And that's the villain stuff. Maybe. Maybe. Get ready for the Thursday Night Wars, everybody. Kurt, Kurt Connors eating the boy does not make me want to jump up and take my shirt off. It makes me go, what the fuck? I can't believe yeah. he ate that boy. can't believe he ate that fucking boy. Um, so, I'll tell you what, though. That lettering that Joe Caramagna did in that issue, though, that shit's pretty fucking raw. That got me hype. That shit is pretty raw. That's some good lettering. He tears up the, the, the narrative captions. The first person yeah. narrative captions of Kurt Connors, when the fucking captions get torn up, that owns. It does. It does. So, 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 I don't think we're going to rank that, but it gave us an opportunity to give a little further insight into what is raw. Yeah. So I hope that helps. Uh, while we're at it, though, we can answer Soso's question to give this yeah. to Soso. Soso says, Poison Ivy is a vegetarian connected to the green and counts as a plant person in some versions of the character. Doesn't that make her a cannibal? Yeah, Poison Ivy should only eat meat. Right, yes, yes. If she's made of plants and eats plants, then I guess, yes, she is a cannibal. I mean, I think the actual proper answer now is in current continuity, I believe Poison Ivy photosynthesizes. Okay. And doesn't actually eat, but like, yeah, Poison Ivy should only eat meat. Right? That does make a degree of sense, yes. Yeah. And if Kurt Connors did the thing, ate the boy while he was the lizard, does that make him not one? Not a cannibal. That's a tough one. That's a tough one to answer. I mean... Billy did come back like as a lizard boy at one point. Yeah, I think that's part of what makes it so hard. Makes it so yeah. difficult to to say. Uh okay, so so we hope we've clarified things for you a bit and uh thank you for sending that in. Here is our next submission. It's from Patrick Gertner. And Patrick says, this is maybe a little obvious, but if we're talking about raw moments in comics, I have to go with Scourge standing alone. Why? 
<laughs> oh, gotta clear it. Gotta clear it out, baby. Gotta gotta clear it out. Ranking at the new number one is is Scourge the Executioner standing alone at Gallibrew. I mean, it is pretty fucking raw. It's about as good as it fucking gets, man. Like that's there, there was a small handful of moments. That, and I think we talked about this. We talked about this with uh, some friends of ours. That, like, we knew... When I put Batman Year One at the top of the Every Story Ever list, and when we put that there and we put Identity Crisis at the bottom, we didn't think those would get beaten. But there were some that we knew, like... The one that we always talk about is, is Gordon with the baseball bat. Yeah. But, like, we knew there were ones that beat it. And boy, this this one, I don't know if anything can dethrone it. There's one other thing that I think could do it, and it's also from the Simonson Thor. Okay. This is specifically just, it wasn't included in the submission, but it's from Thor number 362. Yeah, bud. And there are several elements that I think makes this moment especially raw. This sort of poetic nature of the narration over it that ends with he stood alone at Galabrew and that was enough. The fact that he is taking on wave after wave of enemies and he's talking about the next wave is coming. I'm going to take, bring them on. And he's like shooting and shooting and shooting until yeah, he also has two M16s. Yes. By the so way, in this Thor comic, where he is is standing at the bridge to hell. You know, he's Scourge, the executioner, but he but part of the whole story is that like yeah, he's gotten modern weapons. Uh so he's he's standing here with these M- M16s. He's shooting and shooting and shooting. He runs out of bullets and then the the last image of us we see of him fighting is he's run out of bullets, so he's taking his one of his M16 and he's just swinging it as a melee weapon at this horde of you know enemies bearing down on him. Yeah, because he's Scourge and Scourge fights with an axe. Yeah. Yeah, bud. Yeah, uh, bud. Here's what gets it, though. Here's what makes this, like, the king shit raw moment. Is the emotion. Yeah. Because... Scourge, the executioner, is a bad guy. But he's a bad guy because he's an idiot. And he always gets you know tricked into being a bad guy because he's in love with the Amora the Enchantress. And she doesn't love him back, but he'll do anything for her, and so she like, you know, uses him as muscle in her schemes. Tale as old as time. Scourge, when he when they all go down to hell to rescue the the souls that have been consigned to, to Hella's realm. Uh, Scourge, first of all, fucking destroys Hela's ship made out of dead men's fingernails, uh, which is, is, like, delays Ragnarok, because it's almost done, and Hela's getting ready to fucking end the world, and he just throws his fucking axe at it, and is like, well, that's fucking that. Actually, Thor might do that, but I'm pretty sure Scourge does that. But they're getting ready to leave with these soul, these mortal souls that they rescued from Hell. And Thor's like, well, somebody's got to stand here and, and guard the bridge or else that the, all those demons are going to gonna 
you know, overtake us and, and drag those souls back to hell and kill us all. So somebody's got to stay back and it's a suicide mission and I'm Thor and I'm a, and I'm the hero. So all of you go do it. You know, all of you get out of here. I'm holding the bridge, but Thor is weakened from a fight with Hela that leaves him scarred. That's why he grows the beard and looks like Walt Simonson. Like Thor is, is kind of drained and knocked out. So scourge a, a villain up to this point, fucking I, this is all from memory, by the way, <laughs> Because I've read this comic a million times, and it's the dopest shit that's ever happened. Uh, Scourge knocks Thor out with one punch, and he says, Hey, Thor's too important to die down here. So, you know, just raise a glass to Scourge when you get home. And then he grabs two M16s, and he stands there, and he's like, I know you all think I'm a fucking idiot. And I know that all of you know how easily I've been manipulated because I'm in love with Amora but let me do something right for once in my goddamn life. And that's like the character motivation that always gets me. The, the, I know I've never done anything good, but let me do this one thing. That's the shit that gets me every time. And like that scene of him being swarmed by demons and bringing that fucking, like using the gun as a club to beat him back. And the narration and I'll tell you the narration. Matt, you're looking at the page, right? Uh, I was. I, I have clicked away, but I, I can get back to it. All right. Again, from memory, they sing no songs in hell, for that land is grim and cheerless. Like, that is what it says. They sing no songs in hell. They don't talk about heroes in hell. Yeah. Because, you know, it's not what they do. But there's one person in hell that even Hela bows her head to when she passes by one soul that died that even she is like shows the respect to. And that's scourge. And when any new soul arrives and asks why they say he stood alone at Gallabrew and that was enough. That shit owns. That's the best comics have ever been into the Valley of death. Like, into the Valley of Death, maybe we should rank higher on the Every Story Ever list because of how fucking tight that shit is. We we talked about raw moments being hero moments more than villain moments, typically. The exception to that is villains redeeming themselves. Yeah, but a, 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 an earned villain face turn? Woo. Yeah. Yeah. Woo! That shit's good. And this is the best example. <laughs> yeah. No, it's the best one that's ever happened. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, man. I'm fucking hype now. <laughs> I have not gone and looked at it. Again, all from memory. I burned that scene into my brain. Yeah. Uh, th- th- this is it. It's the new number one. They don't, they don't talk about heroes. It's this is it, Patrick. You did it. You you, you submitted our new number one. Uh, so thank you for for doing that. Our next submission is from Chris Kaiser, and it is Mister Miracle stabbing Darkseid in the face with a Farron knife made from Orion's corpse from Mister Miracle t- twenty seventeen number eleven. Uh, that also owns, and that is the like that's the reason that. 
I, I think Tom King is such a confusing creator for us, Matt. Because how yeah. can someone write something that good and that raw? Where fucking a book that's all about getting over childhood trauma, where Scott Free goes to a fucking apocalypse and instead of handing over his child because that's what you're supposed to do because of the pact, fucking makes a knife out of childhood trauma and stabs the trauma in the face repeatedly until it's dead. I'll say this. It's a good moment. It's great. It's, in fact, a great moment. A a cathartic moment. I do think the book does a few things to undercut it. Okay. Interesting. I'm I'm willing to hear. Because this is a a comic I, I still like a lot and like with like it almost gives tom king it i think he's got the the third biggest spread on the every story ever list yeah uh behind steve dicko and frank miller yes i think that's true yeah which you know what i bet tom king would be pleased to be in that company yeah, well, I mean, like, that's probably why he put those two dudes in his uh, Rorschach comic. Uh-huh. That's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. I think the moment is undercut in a couple of ways. I still think it's a raw moment we should rank. But I want to express how the book, I think the book undercuts the moment in a couple of ways. I th- I, I I understand why in the book... Scott is shouting fuck you repeatedly as he stabs Darkseid in the eye. <laughs> but the fact that it's like bleeped out comics cursing <laughs> percent sign, ampersand, at sign, pound you, uh, I think that undercuts it a little bit. And I think it's the moment is maybe drawn out a little too much so it doesn't have the impact that it could have if it was, you know, not stretched out over nine panels of dark side falling to the ground. Also that book is set up in such a way at the beginning to make you think that potentially all of this is happening in Scott Free's head. So for me, at least when I was reading this issue, there was a part of my brain that thought, None of this is really happening. He's not really stabbing Darkseid. Orion's not really dead and made into a knife. This is in Scott's head, and we're going to get some stuff in issue 12 about how, you know, he's... None of this really happened. That's not what happens. That's not how it resolves. But... My biggest complaint about this Mr. Miracle's book as a series at all is that's kind of sitting in the back of your head as you're reading it the entire time. Mm-hmm. As I said, it doesn't, does it make it not a raw moment? No, it's still a raw moment. But I do think it maybe drops it down a couple of spots because of those factors. What do you think, Chris? I mean, my my response, like I, th- I think you're 
I think those are fair assessments. My response to at least one of those would be that I actually kind of like the cussing because, like, that's how comic book characters cuss, and they're comic book <laughs> characters. <laughs> like, I would almost always ha- rather have that than the alternative, which I know is weird, and I know that that's like not a a feeling that I feel like other people share. But like, yeah, I I would rather have that than I'm the goddamn Batman any day of the week, you know? Yeah. But as for the other stuff, like, yeah. I get it. I do think the nine panels of Darkseid falling are, like, one of the best uses of that. Like, everything that that doesn't work about other Tom King books works really well in Mr. Miracle, I think. The nine-panel grid, I think, is is worth it. The kind of blend of, like, you know, human like Marvel style, like feet of clay stuff with kind of epic superhero stuff, I think works better there than it has in anything else that he's done. Uh, the art is truly fantastic in all that. I really like the moment. Like I don't, it, it ain't, it ain't scourge holding the, the bridge, but it is uh, Mr. Miracle using a God knife to stab childhood trauma in the face, which I think men will literally turn Orion's blood into a knife rather than go to therapy. Chris, I think I have some idea of, I think I've figured out a little bit of Tom King trying to process this. Mm -hmm. Tom King is the writer who is almost inextricably born from identity crisis. So much of Tom King's work you can link back to identity crisis. People because, say I say mean things about people, Matt. Let, let me let me explain. I don't think Tom King would deny this. I think he would disagree with our critique of identity crisis because clearly that's a book Tom King likes. Because what is every Tom King? DC book. It's let's put some real life trauma. Let's talk about some real life issues. Let's make these DC heroes go through real shit. And for us, in a lot of ways, that doesn't work. Your go to example is Guy Gardner gets cucked and murdered. Mm -hmm. And yes, we know it was a fake out murder, everybody. But making Guy Gardner a funny haha character that we mostly remember from Justice League International into an abusive boyfriend who you could argue deserves that fate is not what you like about DC Comics, I think we can say quite fairly. Right, Chris? <laughs> and to me, harkens back to a storytelling, a type of DC comic storytelling that originated in identity crisis. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think you're wrong. I, I think you're, I think you're right about that. I will say that 
I do think it works with the new gods in a way that it doesn't necessarily work with other DC Comics characters because the new gods already have that level of metaphor. Yes, and melodrama. And melodrama, yeah. Melodrama. Melodrama. Melophor. Melophor. That's that's the point I'm getting at. This is the story where it really works. And it also worked with the Omega Men. Yeah. Because those are characters nobody gives a shit about. But but also because it's like cosmic opera stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? And and Mr. Miracle working through the trauma of war in particular fits. It fits the fourth world, and the fact that Orion and Darkseid die in this, well, they've died a hundred times before. We know they're going to come back. It's it's not as big of a deal as you know seeing it happen to, for example, Guy Gardner. So it's the same kind of storytelling. It just works here in a way it doesn't work for us in other settings with other characters. Mm-hmm. It, am I way off base here? <laughs> no, I, th- I, I think you're right. Like I, I would have never said that Mr. Miracle was cut from the same cloth as identity crisis in the way that I feel that about heroes in crisis, obviously, you know, yeah. that the kind of the most primary example there can be. Uh, but I think you're, completely dead on accurate with that. I mean, even Tom King's Marvel work, like I liked his vision book, but the vision book is kind of couched in that too. It's like, it's like I said, I think Tom King would disagree with us on the basis of the identity crisis being the worst comic ever made. But, so, like, sometimes that kind of melodramatic and quote-unquote real-life superhero storytelling can work, and that's the book that proves it, Mr. Mirror. Yeah. Well, you know what it is, is that – and maybe the, maybe the, you know what it is is too strong, uh, but, like, instead of – instead of adding in trauma to the characters, this scene in particular, like makes the characters a stand in for the concept. Yeah. And I think that works so much better, obviously, but it like, I I think that's a better way to approach it. Right. Like, especially when you have characters like dark side, who are so already representational. Like I and, and, uh, and I think it works. And complex. There's a complex there's complexity to Mr. Miracle, there's a complexity to Orion, there's a complexity to Darkseid, to all the all the fourth world characters that isn't necessarily there for say Adam Strange. <laughs> so when you read a Mr. Miracle book where the characters are complex and they represent complex things and and they have motivations that aren't necessarily purely good or purely bad that fits into the milieu of the fourth world when the book is like 
guess what? Adam Strange is a fucking murderer who did a genocide. That's like, what? Like, that's why I gave up on Strange Adventures, because that's what that book ultimately is about. Adam Strange did a genocide. (laughs) It's like, I don't want that. I, I want Adam Strange to just be like a space guy who does adventures. It's interesting that you you mentioned like the complexity of the characters cuz I again I think you're right but I think it's a it is a complexity born from simplicity in like in that way that the same like way that Batman is complex but he's a very simple character and Superman is complex but he's a very simple character in that like Darkseid is complex because people do bad things for complicated reasons, and Darkseid is everyone's Darkseid. Like that's the gimmick. That's it's right there. I've yeah, said and, before, and, Kirby's not hard to figure out. And uh, Apocalypse and New Genesis are locked in perpetual war. Yeah. So they're doing war shit. So you can plug any story about war or anything, any theme about war into that, and it works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as for this scene in particular, I don't know, man, it fucking popped me. It, like, I, this one gets me. I pop pretty fucking hard for this one. All right, I, I, my ceiling is Thanos asking Ben Grimm what time it is, though. I don't think it can go above that. I, yeah, I would put it above Lockheed, but not over what time is it. Okay, it's, I think it's. The money part of Mr. Miracle is dark side is, but so are we. Yeah. Like, that's the money. Which is not exactly raw, but is, is, it makes you, it makes you go skip a stone and think. Yeah, but I thought about getting a tattoo of that. (laughs) Yeah. So many times. All right. So the new number four is the moment from Mr. Miracle 11 where Darkseid gets stabbed in the eye by Orion Blade. Now, Chris. You said one of the only other moments that could be number one on the list are is from the Simonson Thor run. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Our next moment is from Lucas Brown. Mm, 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 mm. Okay, and it is from Thor number three hundred forty-four. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whatever happened to Balder the Brave? Uh huh. Yeah. You know, when Balder picks up a sword, a sword. Yeah, when Balder picks up the sword again. <laughs> yeah yeah bud i'm familiar with that moment that mm, mm, that, mm, that's good that's the other thing that i like will always 100 percent of the time pop for we've talked about it recently i forget what it was that we, where we talked about it but that the thing of of someone like begging and you think they're begging for their life, but they're actually begging, don't make me destroy you. Don't it's, make it's, me become John Wick. It's the old, call an ambulance, but not for me. Yeah. Because <laughs> what happens in this, now we have found out previously, uh, Volstagg's been sitting on that guy for like for like six months at this point. Uh, the guy who shows up to kill Balder. Uh, the kid who shows up to kill Balder because Balder killed his father. Because uh, Balder, you know, the greatest warrior in all of Asgard, uh, killed a lot of motherfuckers. Uh, but now he doesn't do that anymore. 
And the reason he doesn't do it is because, you know, you know, Balder, if you know one thing about Balder, you know that he died. Uh, and that did happen in Marvel Comics. Uh, but Balder did eventually come back, like after he was uh, killed by Loki. Uh, the, you know, did the thing with the mistletoe. Uh, play God of War 2018, if you're curious to find out about this. So the way Balder came back is that when he went to hell, the greatest warrior in the history of Asgard had to face all the all the men he'd killed in battle. The greatest warrior in all of Asgard. And uh, we find out that when, when Balder left hell, uh, he didn't walk. He swam through an ocean of blood because he had to kill them all again. That's rad. First, first and foremost, that is rad. Like we can agree on that. Uh-huh. That shit owns. Uh, secondly, that's why he doesn't fight anymore. That's why Balder, at the start of uh, of the Simons and Thor run, is uh, you know kind of a, a chubby pacifist <laughs> who do, who doesn't yeah just hangs out, eats, drinks, hangs with his friends. Uh, that's why. Because he had to kill everybody twice. He was faced with the enormity of all that he had done in a life of war. And was like, I have to stop. I am too deadly. I'm too much of a killing machine. He's the fucking old gunslinger. He retired, right? Right. So he has to go deliver a message to Loki. Uh, about, uh, I, I believe it's about uh, Surtur and the Sword of Twilight and Ragnarok being on the thing. And Loki because he's an asshole is like, yeah, I don't really want to hear your message. I don't really care what it was. Um, but I got a bunch of demons here for you to, you know, that are going to kill you um, before you can deliver this message. Maybe I'll listen to you after you, like, I, like if you survive this, but I mean, they're going to kill you and you're a pacifist. So you don't fight. So bye. And Balt, there's a scene. It's, it's, it's on the cover, even. It's the cover's great. It's this Simonson again. I'm not looking at this. It's this great Simonson cover of Balder down in the lower right hand corner, and just this you know mountain of demons attacking him, like like a tidal wave of demons getting ready to crash down on him. And you get the bit where Balder's like, "Hey, please don't do this. I have to give this message to Loki. Odin himself has charged me with this. The fate of the Nine Realms." I have to give this message to him. Please don't attack me. I promise I'll let you all live. That shit? Mwah. 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 It's, it's delicious. Oh, okay. it's creme brulee. <laughs> the... We talked about... I, I talked a little bit about the staging in the Mr. Miracle moment. Mm-hmm. To me, this is the counterpoint to that. Because I feel like this is a moment that is so sold by the staging. Mm. But mm. the way it is presented on panel. I think that's part of something we don't talk about when we talk about the Walt Simonson run on Thor. Is just how artfully all of these moments are presented. It's not even it's not just the moments themselves. It's that Simonson stages them and presents them on page, on panel, in the way to like maximize the emotion you feel as re- as a reader. Mm-hmm. Cause to me, 
the big moment isn't even so much when Balder picks up the sword. Because he picks up the sword, there's a page in between, and then on the next page, like we go to like the B-plot for a second. And then on the next page, we see there's just a close-up of Balder's hand holding the sword, and then the horde of demons behind it, where Balder is saying, like, listen, just listen to me. I'm begging you. If you don't just let me pass, a terrible thing is going to happen. And the demons are like, no, fuck you. And they stab him with spears. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so there's a close-up of just a narrow panel of Baldur's eyes. They're narrowed. And he's saying, no! And all the demons are saying, kill him. Kill him for Malekith. And Baldur goes, demons, I forswore the sword forever. But billions of innocents will perish if my mission fails. And so he's like jumping over the horde at that point. Then it's just hands and slashes. And Balder saying, fiends, devils, you've destroyed me and everything I hold dear. Everything. Then we see Balder's face. And he's saying, now die, die, die. And it's just like closer and closer on Balder's face as he's swinging a sword around. Then the last panel is Balder at the door, Malekith and Loki inside, and a pile of dead bodies behind him. Yeah, man. Yeah. That is staged so fucking perfectly. Yeah, Walt, Walt Simonson is, like, arguably the greatest craftsperson in comics history. <laughs> like, yeah. like, pretty unassailable. It's like, it's him and Stan Sakai. <laughs> Those are the two. Like, legitimately, it's no one is better at it than they are. It's just like, Walt Simonson will occasionally do a bad comic. Like, it's a rarity. It's almost, like, kind of delightful to see it when it happens. But, I mean, when when he's good, which is most of the time, ain't nobody better. For real. For real. Uh, yeah, that's... That's mm, that's so good. Okay, so here's the question, Chris. Is this the <laughs> moment you were thinking of? Yes. Balder takes it, up the sword in the exact moment I was thinking of. Like, it... Because there's, like... Okay, there is one more, but it, I, I wouldn't put it above those two. But I would make like I would maybe say it could crack the top three, but just just the one more in, in the run. Well, personally, uh, I don't think this moment is better than Scourge standing alone at Galibru. No, it. I don't think it is, but it's like I. Is it better than Gordon giving Flash the baseball bat? Because it is, in a lot of ways, very similar in tone. Like, it's that kind of, you know, if you're reading that story, and you've been reading that Thor run since the beginning, you know that Balder used to be a badass, right? Like, you've already gotten the uh, swim out through an ocean of blood uh, scene. That's what I thought. That's the moment I thought you were thinking of. No, that is... That's good. But, like, that's also, like, something that Volstag tells a guy about, you know? Yeah, yeah. You don't know... You know that that's established, but you don't necessarily know, hey, this is... 
like like you don't know the extent of what Balder can do yet because you haven't seen it. And so there's still that that feeling when you read it the first time of like, oh, is you know, is Balder gonna die? Like is 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 he gonna you get the turn of Balder saying, you know, like, I'll I'll let you all live. You get the turn of him revealing it's not him that he's begging for. It's his pacifism. It's him not, it's Lord, forgive me, I've got to go back to the old me. He doesn't want to dig up the box of guns and gold coins in the basement. Because yeah. that road is one he cannot come back from twice. And that's just so fucking good. That's so fucking good. In the same way that you don't know that Jim Gordon is a badass until that scene. Like, you're just like, all right, Commissioner Gordon. Not like Commissioner Gordon has punched his hand through someone's chest and ripped out their heart before. I know that I, I, I know for, for sure Scourge standing alone at Galabrew goes above this. I'm, I'm willing to say this might be number three, but I'll leave it up to you. I could, I can put it at number three. I can okay. happily put it at number three. Let's put it at number three. The from uh, Thor number three hundred and forty-four. It's uh, Balder picking up the sword, or Balder Balder picking up the sword and the immediate aftermath. Because I really do think it's. The couple of pages after the he picks up the sword that really sell it, but he also cuts Loki's fucking head off in that comic. Don't forget that comes later. But yes, yes. Yeah. Do not get it twisted. My man does cut Loki's fucking head off. Loki also, puts his head back on because you know he's Loki. Yeah, but also beautifully staged. Yeah, uh, like Simon's a. A master craftsman. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, that's what's so amazing about the Simonson run, is like, he he's writing it and drawing it. He's that good at comics. And plus, you know, John Workman, the uh, greatest letterer of all time. Mostly yeah. because of that run. I would, you know, I'd say he, he just narrowly beats uh, Tommy Orr's. For that, Tom Morzikowski. Todd Klein can get fucked. I'm kidding. Todd Klein is also good. <laughs> Stitch Todd, guy is also good at littering. Todd Klein, I've been I've been looking at going back to Todd Klein's blog to look at his uh, logo studies for Captain America. Because so yeah. uh, he's got, I was talking about this on the Discord. He designed the Captain America logo when Mark Wade came on that book in 1995. Oh, the shield behind it, yeah, the spinning shield and the kind of the mixed case logo. That's a good logo. It, it is. He has on his blog all of the designs he submitted, all the like options he submitted for that logo, and it's very interesting. Um, and thank God he replaced that shitty, shitty logo that's on the book. That started on the book in 1994. Yeah. Uh, all right. We have time for one more moment. Looks like a fucking cereal box, that logo. <laughs> 94 cap logo. Don't like it. This moment is from uh, Josh Montreal. 
I hope I'm saying your name right, Josh. Uh, this moment is from X-Men Omega. The end of Age of Apocalypse. The end of Age of Apocalypse? I was about to, to ask for clarity on that one. Yeah. Uh, in which Magneto rips Apocalypse apart. Is Apocalypse made of metal? Here's the thing. I've never read this comic. You've never read X-Men Omega? No, I've never read Age of Apocalypse. Yeah, ne- neither have I. Uh, Josh helpfully sent along some pages slash panels. And it looks pretty cool, but I feel like it's not right of us to judge this out of context. Yeah, I kind of infamously, that's the big 90s one that I have never read. Because when I was a kid, like Wizard Magazine, the Bible written by the devil, Mm -hmm. uh, like reported that like all the X-Men titles were getting canceled. And they were going to be replaced with a bunch of new titles because Age of Apocalypse was happening. And as a kid, I didn't realize, like, oh, this is just for the next six months or whatever. Uh, This is, you know, this is event times. I was just like, I don't want to read Gambit and the Externals. I don't, like, it it was a jumping off point for me because all the books ended. Allegedly. Temporarily, yeah. Yeah. So I didn't read Age of Apocalypse. I didn't care about Wolverine with one hand. I don't know what to tell you. X-Men Omega is perhaps shockingly a Scott Lobdell, professional comics writer, Scott Lobdell, Mark Wade joint. They co-wrote it. That's a wild team. Yeah. Uh, With art by Roger Cruz. I like Roger Cruz. Uh, I mean, this moment looks cool. Is Apocalypse made of metal? Is that I a thing we knew about Apocalypse? I don't know, but he Magneto does rip him apart. I guess his clothes are made of metal. So, so, Magneto, so Magneto rips Apocalypse's clothes apart. That's a different scene. But then, but, but also, Apocalypse is ripped in half. Here, I'll 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 uh, send you the the image that uh, that Josh sent us. You could tell me Apocalypse was made of metal, and I would be forced to believe you. Apocalypse <laughs> is a character I have read so many comics about and have such a nebulous understanding of what his deal is. I I, I think Apocalypse is human. or Well, he's mutant, but he's Egyptian, right? Like, he's he is a person. Uh, this link you sent me didn't work, so... Oh. It says uh, gone. Error 410. That's not one I usually see. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, okay, I, I'll send it to you at a later date, and you can you can see uh, Apocalypse being ripped apart. I'm going to have to like save it and then send it to you. We might need to catch up on the, the major events of Age of Apocalypse, if it's possible to only read a little bit of it. I, uh, that, that's... Probably so many books. It is, but like I don't want to read fucking Gambit and the Externals. I'll 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 tell you that for free. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let us know, listeners, what is like the core Age of Apocalypse event, and don't tell us we have to read every book and every tie-in because we're not doing that. I would also prefer it if I didn't have to read anything with a guy named Holocaust. That was a bad idea. If it's if it's just Amazing X Men 
one through four and X Men Omega, that's easy. We can do that. Uh, so yes, let us know because Age of Apocalypse is 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 a shared blind spot between the two of us. Uh, I was, I, I I am not afraid to admit that I was not an X Men guy in the nineties. I was. That's right. He's not afraid to admit it. Everybody. That's right. I was an everybody else guy. I was reading Spider Man and Captain America and Iron Man and Avengers and all of that stuff. I mean, this was like the point where I stopped reading X Men comics and kind of like I'd been reading Spider Man, but like I I started reading Captain America and and other Marvel books at this point uh, because I wasn't reading X Men comics anymore. <laughs> For yeah, a I hopped. I hopped back onto X Men in the late '90s with the Trila Gambit. The Trila Gambit that's for what right. he did at Le Mutant Massacre. <laughs> that's right. With with fucking Magneto's clone Joseph. Oh man, Joseph! And don't forget, uh, uh, mutant detective Lucas Bishop. I will never forget mutant detective <laughs> Lucas Bishop. How can right. we? We're out of time. We now have that it. We're out of time. Uh, we now have nine raw moments on the Thursday night raw list. So, you know, we're making we're making work of it. We're making work of it. Uh, if you would like to send us a Thursday night raw entry, you can do it at our email address, which is warrocketpodcast at gmail You can also. Send every story ever list there, or drop us a line, send us a listener question there, or let us know if you want to sponsor the show there at our email. We're on Twitter at WarRocketPod. We're on Tumblr at WarRocketPodcast.tumblr.com. We have a Discord, which you have to be invited to be part of, but if you ask us for an invitation, we will give you one if you're polite about it. Uh, so do that. Our website is warrocketajax.com. It has every episode of the show we've ever done. And warrocketwiki.com is the fan-run website that has all the information you could need about War Rocket Ajax. The Every Story Ever list is there. Hopefully, they're keeping up with Thursday Night Raw over there. Uh, I might I make the uh, the Thursday Night Raw list publicly viewable because I haven't written anything libelous on it yet. Okay, I, yes, let's make it publicly viewable uh, for now uh, until maybe War Rocket Wiki gets on to Thursday Night Raw because there doesn't seem to be a Thursday Night Raw page yet over there. You can go over there to get all kinds of info about the show. If you want to find me and my stuff, including a link to my Zoop project, Imposter Syndicate, you can go to mattdwilson.net to find links to my books, my comics, my other podcasts, and my social medias. Chris, where can people find you? Everybody can find me by going to the-isb.com. That is my website, and it has links to all the stuff that I do here and there around the web. We'll be back next week. I think Chris, because we have so many guests coming up through the rest of March mm-hmm. and into early April, mm-hmm. even though we did Groonies last week, we might do Groonies again. We might do Groonies again because we got it. We got a Groonum.
We got to get through the groons. We're in the home stretch. We have max three groony sessions left. Man, let's see you at the crossroads, groonies. We got to cherish these moments. I always do. I cherish the groonies moments with you, Matt. Yes. These groonies moments. I'll stop the world and groon with you. See you next week, everybody. Come back for some Groonies. Don't forget, Black Lives Matter. Trans rights are human rights. Abortion rights, also human rights. Cops are not your friends, but we love you. Love you. Yeah!